Hello and welcome to Tech Crack, the podcast series brought to you by Sync NI. We are Northern Ireland's leading technology and business media company, and this podcast series will see us interview some of the best, brightest, and most influential thought leaders from across NI's business and tech sectors. Find out more on SyncNI.com or follow us across our social media channels. And enjoy. This week, I spoke with Terry Robinson, CEO of global consulting firm Fox FP. Terry has over 22 years of experience working in investment banks, specialising in technology and regulatory change, and he co-founded Fox in 2015. Originally from Northern Ireland, he now lives in the US. As it is Pride Month now in the States, and it's upcoming in July here in NI, Terry talks to me about his experiences growing up in Belfast, as well as being a guest CEO in the tech and finance sector. You know, how, how is COVID-19 affecting you in the US and, you know, is, is the lockdown easing it a bit more there the way it is here? Like, are shops and things open around you at the minute? So we're probably, we're probably about 10 days ahead of you. Mm-hmm. So shops have started opening, uh, social distancing, restaurants are open for eating outside, no inside eating. And actually, there's no talk of inside eating yet. Um, so... So it's starting, it's starting to relax. I actually very nicely went to a vineyard uh, last Friday, sat in their garden on the table, had a chicken sandwich and a glass of wine, which was the first time uh, in the US that I had eaten, uh, eaten when someone had, you know, you know in a restaurant, uh, takeaway I'd done, but not in a restaurant um, since February. Uh, which is, you know, mind blowing. You know, February all the way through to the middle of June, that I hadn't done that. So, um, for sure, it's relaxing. Um, I think actually people have coped pretty. Uh, certainly, where we live, they've coped pretty well. You know, the supermarkets have been well stocked. Uh, I, I've not suffered the kind of lines thing where you, you know, queue for fifteen minutes outside of Tesco's. Um, my supermarket has, uh, has been fairly well stocked I mean strangely like a run on toilet paper <laughs> exactly why why there's such a run on toilet paper but that even that has stopped I was in the supermarket yesterday and there's there's tons of toilet paper in the kitchen towels and meat and pasta and so yeah it's, it's nearly back to normal I would say it's nearly back to normal as far as the the work environment though you know we're we're a company of 70 odd people and uh, we've got people uh, hunkered down in in New York, in New York City, in Manhattan, um, in New Jersey, um, all over Ireland, really, north and south, um, in and around London, we have people hunkered down. Um, and they've done very well, actually, I think, you know, hats off to the people working at home, um, handling additional stresses of families around them, maybe not having a space to work um, privately in the way that they would have been expected in a work environment. And they, they've done very well. Um, and there's we feel some relaxation there as well. Um, so, you know, our clients are starting to say, we're going to start bringing some people back into the office in July. Maybe not our people, but some people. So at least the door has opened slightly um, and we're seeing some kind of change, so, which is important to people. Because I think, especially, you know, a good number of the people in our company are fairly young. They're in their 20s. Um, and they went went home to their parents' house and they really want to escape again. Know, back to the bright lights in the big city um and so the you know the july 4th uh, uk suggested dates and june july 3rd northern ireland dates mean that maybe some of our staff will be picking up a moon back to london and they'll be delighted to do that 
get their freedom back. Well, yeah, I mean, I don't think anybody who's in their 20s dreamt that they'd be living in the bedroom they grew up in as a teenager. Um, and their mom coming in and asking them about their socks. Uh, <laughs> you got any laundry you, any laundry you need doing there, love? No, literally some of my friends have had to move home as well. But thankfully, um, I do. I live in Belfast in a wee flat. Um, and it, it is times like this I do appreciate the, the freedom and, and the privacy to work. Um, so Box VP, because you do have offices in the US and Belfast and London, and you know, I assume you're all very well connected. Did you, like, did you guys in the US uh, start working from home before the the UK and the the Belfast guys, or what way did you all work it? Like, did you panic to begin with, or was it a fairly easy transition to working remotely? Um, well, firstly, I mean, Vox has three technology people in its management team of four, um, so we're quite, you know, we're very technically capable, and we knew. We knew about remote working and uh, remote working, uh, remote working tokens. I mean, our, our clients are also technology savvy and and support working from home. So, the majority of our staff already had the capability to work remotely. So, remote access tokens to to, to put in secure IDs and things like that. So, uh, we very quickly told our staff that they could purchase the equipment. You know, go to Curry's, go to Best Buy. You know, here in the states. You know, purchase a laptop and we would reimburse them um, uh, so we we very quickly got up and running uh, and it it, you know, it did happen uh, I think it happened simultaneously around the world there was a bit of a flash flood and suddenly you know everybody was at home and there was there, there was maybe a five-day period where we had staff saying well you know if I have to work at home I want to go back home home to my parents um, and so we we were a little bit worried about how the clients would react to that, but suddenly all their staff were doing the same. Um, and, and we actually had a staff member get COVID quite early. Oh, um, so, you know, we we were introduced to the topic faster than most, I think, because, you know, we had, you know, in our group in London, someone got sick and we had to react and, and it impacted other staff because they, uh, lived in you know in and around and near her or they worked in the same department as her on a client side and it impacted the client and so it it all it went from not to 100 incredibly quickly and everybody handled it really well and actually our our CTO Colin Reed he used to live in Hong Kong uh, he worked for 17 years for Jake Morgan and he had a good a good amount of time there and he was quite used to how the the banks who are our typical client how they reacted to COVID and uh, you know they, they knew how to do you know resources coming in one week on one week off so that only half the half the staff would get infected if anybody got sick um, so he was quite experienced with that and we were confident that the banks really knew what they were doing so our, our clients were very well prepared very level-headed um, and reacted very professionally and you know we on, on the back of that you know we we followed their lead really um but we were also very flexible because we uh, we recognized it was stressful for everybody I, I don't think at the time we realized it would last so long mm-hmm. um so you know the stress the stress now is is more to do with you know not being able to get in a room and have a meeting about a business topic or having your parents you know come and ask for your laundry <laughs> or not getting to spend time with your friends because i mean it's 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 boring, really. It's yeah. boring, you know. You know so. 
Um, I want to take you just way back as well, Terry, because we were talking, obviously, um, you know, for anyone listening, you are based in the US now and you have been for a while, but you're, you're from Belfast. Uh, what was it like growing up in the, isn't the 70s and 80s, that was the sort of period you were growing up in Belfast? Yeah, that's right. Um, so actually, so my parents are from Oma and Dungan, and, and I, was, I was actually born in Oma. And when I was about two and a half years old, my, my father got a, ro- a, a job on the Boucher Road, working in a government training centre uh, as an instructor. And uh, our families in Oman and Dungannon were like, you're crazy, you're moving to Belfast in the early 1970s when you know, <laughs> terrace houses were on fire and things like that. Um, so, so happily, my parents uh, bought a house in South Belfast, an area which I'm sure everybody knows, the Four Winds. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I grew up in the Four Winds, nice mixed area. Um, and there was really kind of no, no nonsense from, you know, in the immediate area. Um, and I went to school on the Nocturne Carriageway and everything was very ordinary, I think, in a way. Um, it's only when I was in my early 30s, I kind of looked back and thought that some of the things we saw, you know, being frisked to go into the shopping area in central Belfast, um, you know, being stopped by police when I was 17, you know, driving to see friends. And I went to school in Down Patrick too, uh, to grammar school in Down Patrick. Um, it was only then that, um, and hearing a bomb, you know, echoing across Belfast. And um, it was only in my 30s that I realized that that, that was actually pretty unusual. But, it, but I think children are very adaptable. So I, it didn't seem very unusual at the time. Um, and I think we just kind of got on with it, got on with getting an education, got on with growing up and, you know, high school musicals and school debates. And, and you know, I was a very active and, um, you know, I participated in not really sport. I'm not a sporty person, but I did a lot of other things in school and at school. So, you know, I just got on with, with getting on, really. Um, and, and there was... Yeah, I mean, there was a fair amount of nonsense, but I think, you know, we kind of ignored it. Um, And I think that was the best strategy. But uh, I think now, of course, I'm so incredibly glad that my brothers and sisters who live there and their children, and and I have, you know, great niece and great nephew who are teenagers. I'm I'm very glad that they don't have to think about that too much. I know there's still a little bit of nonsense, but um, but I think, you know, it's, it's incredibly... Um, good compared to what it was like in the 70s and 80s when I was living there but I don't regret having been born and brought up in Northern Ireland I think it's a wonderful people uh, you know there's wonderful people there the education level is incredible um, and you know part of the reason why we we put box in Belfast is access to talent and uh, you know and the fact that you know you can get really bright bright students from Queens and from the Republic from TCD and UCD and Cork etc uh, and that you know you can get great people, and also the character of the people. I mean, it's great to work with uh, with the the Northern Irish people. Yeah, and Belfast and Northern Ireland in general. Um, like obviously, like you know yourself, it is the tech sector is really thriving here. Um, what got you interested in finance and tech? Because you know you've over twenty two years of experience working in investment banks, um, specialising in like tech and regulatory change. You know, if we're going way back to to that period whenever you were growing up, you know, did you foresee the tech sector here being the way it is now, or or what gauged your interest in it to begin with? Well, I, I was a, an early adopter you know, when I was ten or eleven years old. Um, Clive Sinclair came up with this computer called the the ZX Spectrum, 
Mm -hmm. um, there were a couple of early ones, ZX80, ZX81, and I just happened to one of my uncles, um, Vincent Brogan, who lives in, in Oma, uh, he gave me a ZX81 with this, this like metallic keyboard, didn't even have proper keys. Uh, and I, I programmed that um, in our dining room, aged, aged 11 or so. And so I just liked technology. Um, and it was, uh, it was you know, the, the, the dawn of that innovation. And the UK was actually ahead of America then because there wasn't really the equivalent happening there. It was, uh, and then after Clive Sinclair, there was a guy called Alan Sugar, who you probably know is somehow involved in football now. But he came out with a... He came up with this uh, Amstrad PC, which was a clone of an IBM PC. So my mother was actually pretty forward thinking. She um, bought earlier computers so that, you know, as I got more capable, I had access to more computers. And, and I'm one of nine kids and there, was, there wasn't money for anything. Yeah. So the fact, that, the fact that she found money for computers was, was amazing. And so I think actually maybe she was more forward thinking <laughs> than I was. Um, but yeah, but then actually I... And I attended to the, the high school I went to in Dan Patrick was a bit focused on the sciences side. So, you know, I did a level physics, chemistry and maths. And then I went off to university, studied computer science. And then I went to Manchester and did a master's in system design and, and ended up in a bank. So I, I don't think that the moving from technology to banking was just a complete fluke. I, I was living in Manchester. There was an ad in The Guardian. It was the old days when there were like job adverts and newspapers. Uh, there was an ad in The Guardian saying, hey, we'll pay more than anybody else. <laughs> um, and so from a company called J.P. Morgan. And I'd never heard of J.P. Morgan. Um, so I, I applied as a graduate trainee. They had 2,600 applications for 26 graduate trainee jobs in technology. Uh, and I, so I got one of those. And that was it, really. And I, and I, I never really got off the bandwagon. I, I worked in, you know, massive corporates. I, I'm sure JP Morgan is over 100,000 people. Um, I worked for Citibank, there are 150,000 people. So I worked in massive corporates really from 1992 up until about 2016. So um, Vox is, is a, a micro company in comparison to those massive corporates. But there's, a, there's an incredible skill in being able to navigate a super uh, a super organization that's so big like how do you get things done in a company with 150,000 people yes. um, and that's very valuable as a small company knowing how to get stuff done inside of a big company so it shouldn't be um, you know although although you might think that being very small and being very big means that they're not really compatible that's that's not really true you the you know being able to navigate an organization and, and help them with change and understand all their departments and how they link together actually allows us to be more effective as as, as a partner for, for these large organizations. A hundred percent and just as you were saying there um, you know you worked for City in New York and then you co-founded Box. Is that something that you always sort of had planned to do? Like did you always want to to found your own um, consultant firm or was that something that you know after working so long in the industry you were just like well actually I have a few ideas you know independent ideas that I could implement in my own firm? Well, um, so actually Vox was a concept that came about because of a lunch at Lady Dixon. So mm -hmm. I don't know, so out towards, when we were kids, we used to go to Lady Dixon a lot. And uh, Brendan Gorman, who's our CFO, uh, and Danielle Gorman, his wife, who, uh, so I've known Brendan since we were 11 years old, and, and Danielle turned up when we were about 15. 
um, we were having lunch with my partner, William, and uh, we had twin babies. They were about six months old. Um, so, so there's some lovely photos of that day. And um, I, I described a company that was providing services to, to City. Um, and I suggested to them uh, that, you know, we could create a company that did something similar. Um, and so they said, okay, let's go for it. Um, you know, I'd only ever worked in large corporates. So the idea of setting up this consulting firm was actually pretty scary. And also we didn't have like a culture, neither, well, Brendan did, cause he, he'd been an entrepreneur working uh, in some companies himself, but I, I certainly didn't come from a culture of people who owned their own companies in, in any way, shape or form, you know, PVC windows, all the way through to light, light engineering, nothing. I mean, I come from a, a family of teachers and doctors and nurses. Mm-hmm. Um, so the idea of, of running a company. So Brendan brought a lot to the table from the point of view of how do you operate a company, having HR, et cetera. And, you know, Danielle's our, our COO and, and handles that for us. Um, so they brought a lot to the table and I kind of brought the content knowledge and the banks and understanding what they were trying to do, regulatory change, et cetera. So, um, you know, it was very complimentary. And if you look at our management team, you know, you've got Daniel looking after the operations side. Um, you've got Brendan looking after finance. And then Colin Reed is our CTO. And Colin, I actually, uh, he's Scottish. Um, I, I know him from JP Morgan in the mid-90s. So, so again, you know, long-standing relationships. Um, knowing that you're working with people you trust, that you like, um, and that you will be able to handle, you know, the the ups and downs of a small business. So, you know, there'll be some things you you chase and you lose. There'll be other things you you get and um, you, you have to quickly respond to. So, you know, a, you know, real partnership and management teams. We're very lucky, very lucky as a, as a group to work well together and to, and to complement each, uh, each other. Yeah. And in terms of, um, because you have worked in so many different places, you know, whenever I was sort of doing research on you, um, you know, you've worked in London, Frankfurt, New York, you're in New Jersey now. Is that, it kind of shows how much technology can, can help people travel the world. And, you know, if anyone was looking at, oh, should I get a job, a career in tech? You know, there is that, that's a real added benefit. Um, is that something that you always plan to do? Like, did you foresee yourself living in the US uh, for a long period of time? Or is that just something, did you sort of just roll with the punches? No, actually, so when I worked for J.P. Morgan at the very beginning of my career, there, there, I was in London um, near Blackfriars, uh, and they sent me to the U.S. So I think in the three years that I worked for them at the beginning of my career, I probably spent a whole year of those three years in uh, in in New York, uh, and I loved it. I loved it, and, and no surprise. I mean, I was in my mid twenties, so who wouldn't love going to New York in your mid twenties? So I did dream. Uh, of coming to New York and living here for a while. Uh, but it did come about by chance, though. Um, Commerce Bank came around, you know, living in Germany. That was more by necessity. Um, the financial, I was working uh, in a joint venture company uh, as a product manager selling a product. And then 9-11 happened and suddenly the whole software market fell apart. Uh, and I didn't really think there was any chance. I thought they would wrap up the company and then I would probably lose my job and that actually did happen about three months after I went to Frankfurt so Frankfurt was more of a necessity although that was only a six-month engagement I ended up being there for three years so you know we we obviously well so New York on the other hand was was more of a career thing I was working for Credit Suisse in London uh, and they said why don't you go to New York and work for the big boss 
so I went off and I, and I ended up in New York for seven years. Uh, work, sorry, I ended up seven years in total at Credit Suisse. Um, and then about five and a half of those were in New York. I suppose the question is, kind of, I'm, we're still here because we didn't really plan to come for such a long time. And it's now been 13 years. Yes. So we're kind of we're kind of Americans now. We're actually citizens, both uh, William uh, and I. And then, you know, we have three kids. We've got five-year-old twins and a 22-month-old. Uh, via surrogacy um, and you know so we we uh, are kind of we're not exactly stuck here because um, you know the kids are not quite school age but you know I think we're happy we're happy living in New Jersey and the quality of life is high so for sure and uh, we've got the benefit of being close to New York which is which is wonderful. Yeah you definitely haven't lost your accent you've sort of got a, a little bit of a, an American twinge to your to your or your kids you know is your list, is that a fully American accent or does some of the Northern Ireland rub off? <laughs> um, so uh, no, no, no Northern Irish at all. Uh, they, they, they definitely sound completely American. Um, they, I don't know if they sound New Jerseyan. Um, I, can't, I can't really distinguish between a New Jersey and a Connecticut accent, for example. Um, but certainly they, they sound totally American. Um, and my partner's English, he's, he's um, from Sussex and they do they do pick up a few of his words for a bit of fun. So in, instead of saying water uh, for a joke, they might say water and things <laughs> like that. So could, could I have a glass of water, please? They would, they would say with an English accent, um, but, but they know they're, they're taking the mickey. I, I did teach them how to say, hi now, brown cow. Yeah. <laughs> Which they do very well. But, but they know it's it's kind of it's like a party piece. They don't they don't have any and uh, and interestingly, I have a niece um, Michelle who lives in Beaver Park um, near the big Tesco's, and uh, she comes to 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 look after them occasionally if we want to go off on holiday. Uh, she comes over with her family, um, and uh, so whenever I do like a, a proper full on sort of staunch Belfast accent, they go, "Oh, you sound like Michelle." <laughs> Should say Powershire around them. Do you know what everyone always says? Even people from from Galway and stuff. The way we say Powershire. The <laughs> yeah, Powershire. Well, um, well, I do bedtime stories for them, uh, and I've noticed that um, my inflection has become more Americanized when I'm reading to them, just because you know they're pointing at a picture and they say a word, and I'm I'm saying the word back to them. So just kind of naturally, I'm kind of moving when I speak to them in that kind of environment. I'm moving a little bit more to um, to their accent. Um, I, I mean, having said that, I mean, banking, onto technology and banking, it's incredibly international. I mean, uh, phone calls in New York, we had a call with, with a big uh, banking client last week, and half the people on the call who were in the US were, were Brits or Irish, mm -hmm. and then half the people in the, in the UK were, were Europeans as well. So it's an incredibly diverse, um, you talked about technology there and transferring it across um, locations. It, it is incredibly transferable. You're a little bit of golden handcuffs in that, you know, you get paid more, but you're kind of stuck with with banking that you end up having to be somewhere near New York, somewhere near London, somewhere near Hong Kong. It's not, you can't really go and live in Malibu <laughs> and do banking. Uh, maybe in the new normal with COVID-19 where your clients don't expect to see you, they're happy to do it all on the phone. Maybe maybe you can go and live in Malibu if you've got the money. Um, but uh, and, and we're kind of wondering what the new normal is going to look like um, because 
you know, our, our customers have seen that they they functioned pretty well, not at a hundred percent, I don't think, uh, but they functioned pretty well uh, for a protracted period now without having the people in the building. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see what that means about what the shape of employment looks like in, in a couple of years, if there's, if there's some long-term impact of, of the flexible working such that clients say, well, you know, I don't want you to come in the building. I, I want, you know, and I don't, I don't care if you're based in Birmingham, or if you're based in Galway, or if you're based in Paris, just as long as you're working, you know, London hours and I, you're available, you know, to attend meetings. So it, it could, we, we don't know when we're, we're certainly talking about what the new normal might look like. Yeah, well, that is one of my questions I was going to ask, you know, what do you think the future of, of technology and banking will be um, in terms of, I know that you're sort of just going to go with the flow of what your clients would like in terms of um, remote working and things. Do you think because so many sectors across the world have suffered, like obviously manufacturing, hospitality, retail, do you think the tech sector has, I don't want to say thrived, but you know, would you say that's a, a good place to be going forward post lockdown? Um. I, I think for the minute, yes. I think for the minute, I think realistically, you know, some of the big banks have announced layoffs as they, you know, uh, so I, I would think that, you know, there, there's going to be a bit of a dip, I think. Uh, what you might find is tightening of budgets. So it, it, one way or another. So there there will be a push towards uh, more cost effective. So more, you know, the same amount of work, but for less money. So we actually see that as a kind of a positive you know we're a consulting company we compete with the big four mm -hmm. um, we we've grown during the the pandemic so we've gone up by about 25 percent in three or four months which is you know an incredible uh, amount of growth um and the reason for that is that we're much more cost effective than the big four but i do think the pie that that's used to divvy up between all the various suppliers is likely to shrink uh, in most of the banks because they're they're gonna see you know they're gonna the mark you know interest rates very low um, the margins on trades are low. Um, they're, you know, the clients are not going to be doing as much activity. So I, I think, you know, overall, yeah, the um, the pie is going to get smaller. So I think it will be tight. Um, you know, and you know, unemployment in the U.S. is is at staggering levels at the moment. And Jerome Powell, the, the chairman of the Federal Reserve, you know, he's talking about recovery will take all the way to sometime in 2023. So I think it would be kind of naive for us to think that we would be unimpacted by that. Um, having said that, we we do see an incredible amount of opportunity. Um, you know, every day there's a new idea, there's a new concept, a new domain uh, that's related to what we currently do. Um, and if money was no uh, no barrier to us, we would we would be growing in five or six different areas. And you know, investing in senior staff, if you would bring uh, domain knowledge and bring junior staff below them, um, you know, we would we would certainly be investing. Uh, if money was an object, we'd be investing in many different ways. But but we re we remain very positive. You know, I think you know back to Northern Ireland for a second. You know, we've got access to the talent. You know, great partnership with Invest and I. You know, Queen's University. Um, recently, we've taken on a couple of summer interns from the Smurfit Business School in Dublin. So you know, great to work with them. Um, and you know, one of them's one of them's German, one of them's Indian. So you know, it, it's quite it's quite amazing the. The talent that you can access um, on the island uh, in the north and the south um, and certainly in the states as well so you know I think we we remain very optimistic um, and I think that the dynamic 
you know, yesterday I was expecting a quiet day. It was crazy. I started at 6.30 in the morning and I was still doing stuff at six in the evening and it was time for the kids to, to you know, get their milk before they went to bed. So it was, uh, you know, it's, it, it's, it's very interesting and dynamic working in a small company and incredibly diverse, the kinds of things that you do in one day. Yeah, and in terms of like what you were saying there, the talent here, you know, there's lots of stuff that even the Department for the Economy is doing here. You know, they're doing assured skills academies for graduates. People can do conversion courses like to change careers into tech and finance. What would you, what advice would you give someone, whether that is, you know, a, a younger junior person coming out of college or university, hoping to get a job in finance or tech to someone trying to switch careers? What sort of advice would you because of all your years of experience, would you give to someone um, hoping to get into the industry? Um, okay, so so I think tech is tech is like a, a backbone requirement these days. You know, even even the most uh, non tech person in a bank, they're now asking them to have Python skills to be able to manipulate data. You know, data is they talk about data as the new oil. So, you know, if you can talk to data, put stuff in a spreadsheet, do stuff with data and using Python, um, and, and yet you're doing the degree in engineering, which is, has a technical bent, so you can see why that might happen. But even, even accountancy, you know, the expectation is that you're going to be able to play with data, visualize data, um, you know, marketing, understand data and what's happening on Facebook and Twitter. Um, so I, I think everybody should understand that there's a core requirement to understand data. Um, having said that, I'd be a tiny bit cautious. I mean, technology, just pure technology, being a Java developer has become super commoditized now. Um, you know, a, a large organization that can manage outsourcing will try and push that to India because that's cheap or they'll, they'll push it to China. So you kind of have to mix both technology and some sort of business content. And actually, for people who, who are doing conversion courses, if they can kind of hold on to the thing that they, uh, they did before and they bring both technologies. So, you know, the, they used to work in uh, manufacturing and they understand cost accounting and they can keep the knowledge of cost accounting, but then go into a conversion course where they understand databases and they understand Python, bringing those together, having both the business content and the technical uh, and you know the injection of technical skills bringing them together is a much more powerful sell so i think you know it's one of those having experience you know you shouldn't uh, throw away the thing you did before and suddenly want to become a pure technologist because pure technology is 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 too commoditized um i think the other thing is especially for us is is finance so you know if you have um technology plus a finance layer so you know we we do training courses the um, cisi well, we, we send our uh, staff on those courses um, and we partner with, with local organizations on training. So we, we like to bring technology as the foundation and business content. Though we, we, we don't really want to have programmers for exactly the same reason I said, which is that it can be commoditized. So you know, being able to bring some kind of business content plus a technology layer is, is very valuable. Yeah, I think that is like what you're saying, that is the future, you know, and, and at least... 10 years time people with different skills they're going to have to have technology as that backbone so it's it's definitely advised that people doing these conversion courses and these different sort of even like smaller shorter part-time learning and stuff it's definitely uh, going to be beneficial to them in the long run 
Mm -hmm. No, no, I totally agree. And actually, I was listening to, I was in the car driving and I was listening to Radio 2, BBC Radio 2 last week. And they rattled off on Steve Wright's show 10 jobs that didn't exist 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. uh, and it was all data science, data architect, cloud architect, you know, pushing, uh, you know, everything to do. It was all about data. Um, and a lot of what we do is about data, you know, data to do, you know, help our, our clients outreach to their clients to transform, you know, and then how they trade or um, data quality, data lineage, you know, proving that data is complete, correct. Um, there's just so much is about data these days. Yeah, even as well, um, I was at AICon uh, last winter in Europa and you know, they were talking about how people are often so afraid of technology stealing their jobs, but actually technology is, when you do, like you said, look at the data, it's gonna create more jobs than it's gonna actually um, take away or, or destroy. It's just about sort of moving with the times and, and getting those transferable skills. <laughs> mm -hmm. Oh no, absolutely. And I think if you, if you look, at the size of the technology industry and, and finance industry in Northern Ireland, I think it's something like 22,000 people. Um, the, we could certainly add more people to that, um, to that number. And I know clients in Northern Ireland who, who've maxed out their buildings. They can't put any more staff in their buildings and they're looking at you know, their site strategies. So you know, there's tremendous potential in Northern Ireland. And you know, the, the infrastructure, you know, the speed of connection on data networks to, to, to London is good, unless you live out in the middle of nowhere. Um, you know, generally, Northern Ireland has very good infrastructure, you know, so the combination of, you know, good, good grammar schools, good um, universities, um, a young population, um, and, you know, the, the infrastructure it, it is very attractive for inward investment and, and building service delivery centres and skills locally. Yeah, perfect. Uh, that is all from me, Terry. Is there anything else you'd like to add? Well, I know. So there's one one element. So we were doing this on Pride Month. So mm -hmm. I thought, you know, um, uh, so I don't know if you know that, you know, I'm a gay CEO. I've got a husband. Um, I think, you know, uh, just for the, uh, especially um, these days, I think Northern Ireland's very progressive. Um, I think banks are very progressive employers. We are a very progressive employer. Um, and we recognize the value that all the diverse sets of people bring to, to a company like us. Um, I think, you know, growing up as, as a gay guy in Belfast in the 80s was a challenge. I think um, my escape, I think, is pretty similar to escape of lots of people, not necessarily because they're gay, but because, you know, they, they, they need like an opportunity. Uh, you know, a leg up is, is education um, and, you know, taking advantage of, of a free education, a good quality education. Um, to go off and live somewhere and do what you like to do. Um, to be honest, I, I suppose when I left Northern Ireland, the being gay in Northern Ireland was was very problematic. You know, in the late nineteen uh, seventies, uh, the, the late nineteen eighties, nineteen eighty seven, and I never thought I would end up running and owning a company in Northern Ireland. I kind of I totally thought when I went to the airport, airport with my suitcase and flew off to go to university that I would never come back. Um, but I look back now and. I look at Northern Ireland as today, and you know it's a very progressive, or it's becoming a more liberal, progressive place. Um, and so, you know, I think um, we, as an employer, are for, for sure we're liberal and progressive. You know, we've we've got again, as in staff, um, and we very much support um, a diverse group uh, in the company. So, you know, I think um, 
Also, our clients are incredibly progressive. Banks put in an, an enormous amount of money having diversity net, networks to, to further uh, disabled staff, um, senior women in the organization, gay and lesbian networks. Um, so I think, you know, even if you don't end up working for a company like Vox, there, you know, there's many good progressive organizations in Belfast that you could work for, the big four consulting firms, the banks there, the insurance companies there. There's been a tremendous change in the cultural attitude towards um, diversity. And I think, you know, it's a very it's a very positive time. There's still work to do, but it's a very positive time. And especially here in the in the States, it's Pride Month this um, this month in June. I think um, I think Pride in Belfast is in July sometime. Yeah. Um so you know, I, I, I think, you know, as as a as a gay employer and and you know uh, having grown up in Northern Ireland, I think it's it's certainly a much more positive experience now than when I was a kid. Yeah, there are definitely a lot of um like you said, like the big four, there's lots of banks and corporates here that would even have LGBTQ uh, like committees within the companies and they would always sort of march in the parade and stuff. I know they can't do that this year, unfortunately. I did a podcast uh, two weeks ago with Deepa Mangler. We were, we were focusing on obviously Black Lives Matter campaign that just got a lot of traction because of what happened in the US with George Floyd and the protests, etc. But we were talking just more deeply about like what you're saying, like how diversity and inclusion is so important in, in the tech sector and in the workplace in general. And what she was saying was, you know, it just makes it's not even it's not even a obviously yes, there's a moral and ethical obligation to include, you know, people from different ethnic minorities, different genders, different sexual orientations, but it just makes good business sense as well because the more diverse your workforce is you know, you're going to think outside the box. You're going to get different perspectives, different points of view on on businesses, which is something like I just think what you what you were touching on. Well, actually, so just funny on, on the on the Black Lives Matter thing, um, and I I think even like Northern Ireland and policing is a good example. Uh, as much as possible, you want to look like your customer. So you know, and in the case of the police, you know, you want to look like the community you're policing, um, and the same is true for uh, you know in the Black Lives Matter, you want the the police um, to to be aligned and understand they're part of the community and the community support the police and, and vice versa. Um, so from you know in the business sphere, you want to be able to support every everybody who could be you know your potential client, um, and you you want your organisation to you know represent the power of women, the power of ethnic minorities, you know Black Lives, you know LGBTQ plus uh, community. You know really you want to be able to support everybody and not just go for the the old staid narrow narrow you know let's stick to what you were doing in in the 1950s really <laughs> you know the, the world has moved on tremendously uh, and you have to look at look at that from every dimension so like who can you sell to who do you need to service whose needs do you need to better understand um you know how can you support and be progressive you know we, we support a number of different charities and you know um being progressive and trying to help society you know we're, we're we're not just in it for the money um you know we want to move the um the dial on some on the social side i mean we're we're an entity to make money and we're we're a corporate but you know at the same time you know if we want to see um society improve um, and we want to be part of that transformation yeah, 100%. Terry, thank you so much. This has been really, uh, really interesting. And it's, it's fun to talk to someone across the pond. 
yeah well you know uh, i spent i spent all morning so far on the phone to belfast and uh after this call i have another call to belfast uh so <laughs> um it's it's very um the pond is is very small and it's yeah. kind of funny it's called the it's kind of funny it's called the pond because in a way it's kind of a way of of saying that it is so small that's it for this week's episode of tech Rec. for all things tech and business in northern ireland visit syncni.com have a good week.